Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book illustrator, writer and exceedingly energetic person, Rick Jackson, about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, we're only one review away from five ratings on iTunes, so if you enjoyed the show today, please leave a review for us there, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe it helps make other people aware of the show as well. Now without further ado, on with the show. Hello Rick Jackson, how's it going? Well, good, thanks, Sam. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's a bit dreary today, um, raining fairly heavily. What about yourself? Yeah, it is. It's, it's rubbish out there, mate, at the moment. So, uh, Not ideal. Because yeah. where, where, where are you? In um, I'm down um, I'm in South London, down to uh, Causton. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm at the, I live on the top of a hill as well, which is um, kind of has its, its benefits sometimes when it's crap weather. Yeah. It, it lingers. <laughs> <laughs> That sucks. Double-edged sword and all that. Um, but uh, thank you so much for coming on Comics for the Apocalypse today. No worries. Um, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to, to have you on. Um, and uh, for, for anybody that doesn't know, what do you do in the world of comics? I am a writer and an illustrator, and uh, my main title that I put out at the moment is Heads, which is a sci-fi private detective comic. Yeah, which I just received a couple of days ago, so thanks very much. Fantastic, <laughs> thank you. Good good, good choice, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, just put out the, uh, the, the second instalment of that, um, and the third one's coming up soon. Um, so, yeah, um, it's... It's kind of like the X Files, but based in South London. <laughs> awesome. I love it's probably that the quickest and easiest I love way to that explain pitch. it. That's I've, great. I've, yeah, I sort of, I, I, I hate doing the whole elevator pitch thing and whatever. But um, yeah, after standing staring at people looking blankly at me at MCM last year when um, the first issue came out, as I desperately tried to entice them with all kinds of little analogies and, and mm. hooks, the only thing that actually got people listening was. It's, it's the X-Files in South London, and people are like, yep, okay, I'll have some of that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's great when you find something like that, because um, uh, it's, it's sometimes difficult to, to get across what, what a story is entirely about, and kind of using stuff that people already know, um, that being X-Files and South London, <laughs> and it perfectly encapsulates things. So Exactly. It's, it's one of those, I was struggle with that, because I, I desperately want to, to kind of describe it enticingly yeah. in a way that doesn't say it's a bit like this thing you already know, yeah, but sadly same. sometimes you just when it's the first time you sometimes just got to get people hooked with that. Hey, you know this thing? It's like if you like that, you'll like this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Ideal, mate. Uh, and where can people find that? Um, so it's um, available from my site. So um, you can get it from my big cartel store, as it goes. So that's um, rickjackson.bigcartel.com. Um, which you can get to from my website as well, which is rickjackson.co.uk. Um, and there will be, there's copies of the first issue up in Orbital in London as well, which is fantastic. Really pleased that they were able to take that on. Um, and hopefully I'm going to be carting um, all issues of it around to Comic-Cons throughout the year. Excellent. And, and what's your, your next Comic-Cons coming up? Um, so I've got um, Brighton Ice this weekend as it goes. Okay. Um, so yeah, prepping for that, which would be fantastic. Um, hoping to get into MC 
Um, waiting on the applications for that. And um, I'm looking at Nice in Bedford because um, I've heard mm. good things about that too. Um, so people like yeah, people like yeah. Matt Garvey and Ken Reynolds are telling me that it's yeah, it's fantastic. Brilliant. So uh, going to be up for some of that. Um, and yeah, just there's so many there's so many good little events out there. Um, yeah. It's just trying to sort of pick the ones that you can actually get to sometimes, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So definitely going to be looking out for more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, fantastic. Um, well, I I unfortunately have some bad news for you, Rick. Um, because uh, there's actually been a zombie outbreak, um, and you're now in the midst of an of a zombie apocalypse. Um, so my first question for you is: is what's your action plan for survival? Well, after about ten minutes of profuse swearing, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Um, mainly because zombies. Oh God, if it was. Uh, it's, it's more the disappointment of zombies. If there was an apocalypse I was going to end up in, I think zombies is the one that I'd kind of just go, ah, oh, no. Seriously? Really? <laughs> so, so, yeah, seriously. You're giving me zombies. Oh. <laughs> Being like, yeah, attacked by aliens, sounds like it could be quite quite diverse. Zombies, yeah. I don't know, they're, one of those, they're, they're one of those creatures that I, I'm never sure if I'd, I love them or hate them. Um, and there's so many different variants on them. Um, that yeah, it's just I don't know. It's, it's a it's a very it's a very oversaturated market when it comes to um, to sort of stories, movies, comics, and stuff like that. But it's fantastic as well. There's so many people that just pick it up and play with it and give it try and give it a different spin. But overall, I think yeah, I'd almost be in a sort of Shaun of the Dead style stupor of for God's sake. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then just crack on. But um, yeah, beyond frustration, um, my main action plan would be getting uh, get into the water get onto an island or a boat or something right. like that um in fact what i think i'd probably do is um because i used to live down in kingston upon thames right um and i don't know if you know that area sam a little bit but, um, so yeah so the thames runs through it it's got a lovely uh, bit of thames pass down there it's fantastic sort of just a little little town on the river um and there's loads of people who live in um little barges and houseboats down there mm. and there's a couple of bars and restaurants that are actually like um, moored um, just off the river there's, there's one I can't remember the name of it now for the life of me but it's kind of right slap bang in the middle of the river you actually have to get a boat there and back um, and it's all down this long strip that's just got pubs basically Great. and so my plan would be hightail it down to Kingston yeah grab a pint too right <laughs> yeah, bit, yeah while I'm there um, and then jump in a boat straight over to um, one of the the bars or restaurants in the middle of the river and just hole up there it might sound a little bit short-sighted because obviously i'm kind of cut off <laughs> so, <laughs> so my food might run out eventually um but at least i'll have I, if i keep keep my boat i can hopefully just get back out go and get supplies and back again um but stay in the water because as far as i'm aware yeah you see lots of zombies walking stalking people you see running zombies sometimes I've never really seen zombies swim. No, not so much. So, um, <laughs> I imagine that they just kind of drop into the river and walk around on, on the riverbed just underneath you, which is fine with me. Yeah, they can hang out there as much as you like. And hopefully, you never know, that might even, if, they, if I make enough of a racket, they might all sort of try and come and get a meal off me. Um, if we end up with loads of them in the river, then that hopefully just clears the streets. 
so that when I do need to go out and get supplies, um, there's no bloody zombies around. So, um, yeah, that's, I'd be, yeah, holed up in my little, my little river pub. Amazing. I love that. <laughs> Holding up in a river pub. And is anybody going to join you in this river pub? Um, probably. Yeah. I imagine there'll be some hangers on. Um, the main person I imagine would be my, um, my partner in crime would actually probably be my son, Dylan. Um, so right. Dylan's, Dylan's 12. Um, and, um, funnily enough, when I told him that I was, uh, uh, going to be coming on the show. Um, he loved the idea of it, and he was like, "Right, you and me in an apocalypse, we'd nail it." And he had so many Amazing. more ideas, actually, about how we could survive in all kinds of different that. situations. So yeah, he's yeah, he's an innovative little bugger. So um, yeah, I think I'd keep him close at hand. And um, between us, I think we'd, uh, we'd we'd fend him off and survive well. Amazing. And sorry, his name was Dylan. You say? That's right. Yeah, Dylan. Great. Um, and so uh, one night in this in this river pub. The, the conversation of comics comes up uh, and, and the first question that Dylan asks you is, is what's the first comic that you remember enjoying? Oh, well, let's go back some. Um, yeah. So the, f- the first one I really remember actually enjoying um, <clears throat> was probably um, one of the old Transformers, um, like Marvel UK reprints. Right. So um, I kind of vaguely remember sort of getting copies of like, kids comics as a kid obviously mm. uh, but stuff like yeah a bit of the beano and things like that i don't really have a very sort of clear memory of having much of that stuff but i was a huge transformers and he-man fan um when i was a kid and i knew them from the tv shows um and one day my dad um came home because my dad was great he's he, he was a um uh, he's a park keeper um so during the summer he'd be working really long hours um so i, I wouldn't um I wouldn't see him a lot when I was when I was really young um, in those um, like long days that he'd be doing. Uh, but sometimes like at the weekends, if he was doing a shift, I'd, I'd sort of stay up and see him when he got home. And he'd, he'd sometimes bring me home a present. And it'd usually be like a Transformer or a, or, or a He-Man figure or something like that. Um, and one day he came home with uh, with a couple of comics. And um, it was a Transformers comic. It was the one that was on the top. And I was like, oh, my God. I didn't realize that there was like a Transformers comic. Yeah. It was used to the show and stuff like that. So I was like, this is amazing. This means that I can get my Transformers fix all the bloody time then. Um, so I was absolutely hooked. So um, I can't remember exactly which ones he brought home at first, but the one that really stuck with me is the one that I kind of went, wow, this is fantastic, um, was an issue um, with Death's Head in it. Um, and it was quite bleak <laughs> for, um, for like, a kid to be reading. Mm. But it was, um, it was like this... Um, it was part way into a story because uh, again, with some of the like the, the Marvel UK stuff, sometimes you didn't you didn't always get like in the in, in the early eighties and whatever. You didn't always get it sequentially all the time, so you couldn't always get hold of all, all, all your copies in, in a row. Um, so I think this was like the second part of like a two or three part story that I jumped in on, um, and it was yeah, it was Death said hunting Hot Rod, right? Um, and it was nuts, absolutely nuts. I was like, it was, this, awesome. it was just yeah, because Death said. Was remember what year this was then? Oh, I think it was about like 85, 86, okay. something like so that. So it was around about the movie time. Yeah, yeah, it was around then. So like, yeah, yeah. yeah once the movie had been and gone and whatever, obviously Hot Rod was, Hot Rod was a big deal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but Death's Head was a character I'd, I'd, I'd never really heard of. So I think this was possibly the first time I've actually ever heard of Death's Head. And it was just mental. It was just, it was just like hunting down Autobots all the way through it and whatever. And it was just heads being lopped off. Because cause it's... Cause it's robots it's yeah. not gory and yeah, actually yeah, used to them sort of changing and things like that actually that um it wasn't it wasn't 
as shocking or horrific as you'd expect it to be. If it was like, yeah, I don't know, if it was a completely different set yeah, of characters. If it was humans, then, yeah, yeah, exactly, you know, it's yeah. a, it's an it's a 18 rating, right? Oh, God, yeah, exactly, but, uh, yeah, that's the thing. But this was like, yeah, this was almost kind of like, oh, of course their heads can come off, why not? And yeah. like, their, head, their, their heads, like, stayed sentient as well. Right. Oh, like, yeah, right, of, okay. course they, of course they did, why not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But um, but yeah, it was nuts, and the cover was absolutely amazing. It was just it was really simple, but so effective. Um, it was just like uh, in the foreground, you had kind of Hot Rod crawling away, while behind him, towering above him, was Death's head with this enormous, great big axe. Oh and it was just like, whoa, look at that cover. That's just nuts. And yeah, having just seen like the the movie at the time as well, where you've got at the start of that movie, there's just this huge decimation of all your favourite characters. Yeah, it's carnage. <laughs> it, it was carnage. Oh, I mean, what a way to open it! And then, yeah, to then see this this comic, it's like, oh my god, this like new leader of the Autobot. It's like, no, he's going down as well. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> They're just putting them all on the uh, on the factory conveyor belt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> You've no, got to buy new toys now. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but amazing at the same time, it kind of it kind of made it as though it. Like this universe had proper stakes to it, you know. Oh, God, like yeah. there are true consequences within this universe. That's the thing. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, and so, what do you think it was that really kind of connected you to this story? Was it was it the the art, the story, combination of both? And kind of what what do you think it meant to you um, as a as a future creator? It kind of stuck with me and would and I say stands out as the thing that. I first really enjoyed because it was quite different from from all the other types of stories that I was reading at the time. So, like I say, with the, with the kind of funny kids comics and whatever, um, straight away just going into Transformers, it was a bit more serious, and it was something that um, I was connecting with anyway as a fan. But this particular story, um, it was just it was all of that whole shebang of like what what this plot was of someone hunting down an Autobot. Um, and just the way it looked with death, death head look just looks insane. He's just a menacing looking character as it is. So it was just the idea that you could have, um, quite a, quite a stark storyline, but still keep it really entertaining. Cause I think that's the thing that, that stuck with me as a kid. It, it entertained me. It didn't kind of shock me. It didn't worry me. It didn't have me sort of on the edge of my seat as such. I really wanted to read the next issue to see where it all went, but it was just, it was well paced. It was well, uh, well panelled. Everything was just right there at you, entertaining you the whole way through. And um, there was suspense to it, obviously, because you, you're following this hunter going after one of your favourite characters. Um, but I don't know, I suppose as well, at that age, there's a little bit at the back of my mind, even after seeing that decimation at the start of the Transformers movie, they're, they're still like, don't worry, he's going to be all right. It will be all right. So I wasn't mm. that worried about it. So I was like, this will be fun to read. And right. it was just that, yeah, just the exuberance of it all just really seemed to sort of stand out for me. And yeah, and just the fact it was utterly different from, from anything else. And it really, yeah, that's kind of, I suppose that's kind of what I still look for. Yeah. Um, something that's really entertaining. Um, I'm, I'm all for drama. I'm all for grit. But if it isn't going to entertain me, that's not just comics, there's books, there's movies, anything. Um, if, if it's not entertaining, um, what's the point? Um, and I, I feel like that comic particularly just nailed it. Excellent. Fantastic. And so uh, Dylan goes on to ask, what's the, what's the funniest or comic that made you laugh out loud the most? 
That's a really tricky question because yeah. um, I don't think, given what I've just said about how, like, yeah, the Funny Kids comics as a kid didn't really, like, land with me particularly. And that actually, yeah, my tastes are generally quite quite darker. Mm. Um, and actually finding a funny comic is something that made me laugh out loud. Mm. It's, it's really hard to sort of say any one particular thing. There's been plenty of comics that I've read that have had, like, the odd one-liner or a scene, which I've had me just pissing myself laughing, coffee spurting out my nose, all kinds of things. But nothing that's like really consistently from start to finish is just hilarious, in my opinion. Um, maybe that's just some of the stuff that I've chosen to pick up or not chosen to pick up, as the case may be. Mm. Um, but I suppose the thing that really amused me most, that I would say is, is kind of the funniest comic, uh, would be Lobo. Great. So, yeah, it's just... It's the character mainly, rather than any one particular issue or anything, but just the mm. character of Lobo. It's just, just in general. Yeah, it's just a legend. <laughs> it's just, it's just, I, I just find his existence entertaining and hilarious. Brilliant. <laughs> and then, and what, what, what is it that's that's so hilarious about him? It's it's just so over the top. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah, there's it's unrelenting. There's like it, it's, it's quite I, mean, I suppose one quite one dimensional in some respects yeah, because yeah. it's because he just that can be it, good though yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, you, you don't really need, he's not a sort of character that you need to really sympathize with or know all no. your uh, all your origin story or whatever he's just fine as is you just chuck him into anything and he's just a nutter and i think that just appeals to me a great deal as i say, my, my my taste sort of for darker humor um and yeah just it's just almost a, a pastiche of himself immediately, isn't he? It's just, there's so much going on with him. Um, and in comparison to similar sort of characters, um, I just found him just so much more fun um, and therefore funnier um, as a result. So, I mean, there's like characters like Deadpool um, who are kicking about as well, sort of around the same time. And everyone loves Deadpool. I love Deadpool as well. But like, when you sort of compare Deadpool to Lobo, they've got like the similarities of the kind of the sort of uh, feigned immortality. Um, the um, like Lobo's a bounty hunter, and um, yeah, Lobo's Merc with a mouth and he and that. So um, they've they've got a lot of uh, of comparison there. But I just I just find Lobo just far more far more entertaining, far far funnier. I think he just there's something about the fact that he's um, he's an alien as well, kind of just made it easier for me to latch onto and and, and be entertained by, because I kind of almost have a bit of an issue about um, putting um, some superheroes with superpowers amongst people who don't sometimes. That's going to upset a lot of people. <laughs> but, it's just an opinion, Rick. It's fine. Exactly. We, we can all have different opinions. Indeed. I don't know. Just sort of some. Um, there's just yeah. I mean. I, I, it's just sometimes I find it a little bit jarring some, with some yeah, characters. Sure. Um, and actually, with Lobo, he's just like, nah, he's an alien. And it's like, yeah, I can get bored with that. That's absolutely yeah. fine. I kind of don't, there's not a reality that I have to adjust to. It mm. just, yeah, that's what it is. Um, yeah, and it's just, there's so many little bits and bobs about him. I mean, straight away, as soon as I saw a, a cover of Lobo, I can't remember what the first one I saw. It would have probably been like one of the old Simon Beasley ones, which are just horrifically <laughs> ridiculous to look at, aren't they? I mean, his art is just. <laughs> It's, yeah, I just can't even begin to describe it. It's so distinct. But yeah, like when he did a load of stuff, it's just, yeah, you, he looks immense. And I, I think just the look of him, the first time I saw him, I was like, this is Rob Zombie if he was in Kiss. 
Yeah. That's straight And on steroids. Yeah, exactly. I was like, <laughs> I have to read this. I have to know who the hell this guy is. And from the moment I picked it up, I was like, yep, this is great. He's just a nutter. Great big chain with a crowbar on the end of it. Rides his suit up, motorbike. He's a yeah, bounty hunter in space. Yeah, go on. Why not? Love it. Absolutely love it. <laughs> so cool, man. And, and were there any storylines in particular that have kind of really connected you to the character? Not particularly. If anything, it's, it's his cameos. Right, uh, right, yeah. That I, uh, that I, that I like, that sort of really stand out for me with him. It, it, he's, it, obviously, his, his comic runs are great. Um, all, the, um, all the sort of contained series um, that were done were brilliant. I loved the, uh, the Alan Grant and Val, um, Val Samique's run in the 90s as well, which is kind of where I sort of jumped onto it. Though oddly, I couldn't, I don't know why, but it was really hard to get hold of in the comic stores near me at the time. Um, So I was only sort of picking up the odd issue here and there. I've no idea why. Loads of other stuff was coming out, but yeah, Lobo seemed to be quite hard to get your hands on. Um, So I used to grab as many of the the cameo issues as I possibly could because he'd just pop up everywhere. And he was never, (laughs) he was never kind of like integral to the plot, really. It was almost like it chucked him in as a bit of a distraction um, to sort of pep things up for a bit and maybe just kind of challenge the main character. Um, And it was brilliant because it was just... Again, quite one-dimensional, often the same sort of premise of it all, that there's like sure. a bit of a story going on. It's either, it's either part, of a, um, part of an arc, and they've kind of just chucked him in as another obstacle, um, or he's basically just out on the hunt, um, and um, you're in his way, <laughs> pretty much. Amazing. Um, yeah, and like seeing him pop up in like Aquaman, and I mean, when he pops up in The Demon as well, um, it's just, yeah... I just love it. Just anything like that, I'll just I'll, I'll pick it up. If it's got Lobo on the cover, or you tell me that Lobo's snuck in, even if he's there for a page, it's going to be good. <laughs> fun. That is fun. Um, and, uh, and changing emotions a bit, Dylan asks you, what's the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read? Saddest comic, I think, really was um, was probably a death in the family by uh, the uh, the Batman um, series. Um, yeah, it is, isn't it? It's a it's a full on iconic classic there, and um, yeah. yeah, I think that's. I mean, the whole story. There's a lot going on with it, but it's just, it, you know, what I'm talking about. It's that. It's that bit. It's the bit where Jason Todd dies. It's well, just. Yeah. It's. I think that's the first time I've really read a comic and had to put it down. Oh wow! And just kind of go, what? What did I just read? Did I really just read this? Yeah, yeah. did Robin just die? Oh yeah, that's the thing. Did Robin just die? <laughs> what? I've, I've just... I mean, I'm still... I've, I've got it in front of me now, and I've just, I've literally flipped open, I've just, and it's just opened to, like, the page with the Joker just battering him with a crowbar. Oh, my God, that's like, brutal. It, but it's... Uh, yeah. It's just... It's horrible. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm struggling to even talk about it, because it, it still resonates with me. And I think it's just, as well, with the... Um, with what's going on during that scene, the fact that he's been captured, the Joker's beating him to death mm. and Batman's just like desperately fighting off everybody else and just, yeah, trying to, trying to solve his part of the story while this is all going on. And then, yeah, Joker just plants a bomb and you've, you've got the countdown in there as well. There's a brilliant page where you kind of, you kind of almost assume that Robin's dead. Mm. Um, after the beating because 
you know what this story is all about, but um, just from the title of it, even if you even if you didn't know, and, and you, the cover as well. It's exactly, like... <laughs> exactly. But um, but yeah, it's, you, you sort of assume that he's he's getting a beating, but yeah, he, and that he's died, but he, he hasn't. And the bomb's there, and he's desperately trying to crawl over um, to deactivate this bomb. And there's a brilliant page um, where there's it's hold on one two three four five six six rows of uh, of panels and there's on the on the left is the countdown and on the right it's all his actions to try and get him and his mum out of uh, out of the warehouse and out to safety and um it's just counting down and counting down and you just it's proper edge of the seat moments as you look into that page because it gets it gets down to like 12 seconds and they're nowhere near the door and it's like come on really is this really <laughs> going to happen and it bloody does if uh, you turn the page and there's an explosion and it's He's gone. It's just. That's it. I'm still. I'm still sort of just looking at it, kind of going. Robin's just died, man. What the hell has happened? It's. <laughs> it's incredible. And how old? And how old were you uh, when you when you read this? Was, was um, it at the time that it was published? Or? No, it wasn't as it goes. I picked it up, yeah. and I think this is uh, that's testament to how affecting it is. Um, yeah. I picked this up probably oh, late nineties, I suppose. So that's quite a way yeah. after it was released. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. it was like eighty-eight, I think. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, so I kind of knew about it, and mm. I'm a huge Batman fan. Around that time, obviously, you had like um, you had Tim Drake in, and kind of like without having to read a Death in the Family, um, there's lots of reference back to Jason Todd's um, all throughout um, Tim Drake's tenure yeah. as uh, as Robin, um, and lots of little little nods to how um, Bruce won't trust him. Um, alone because he doesn't want to uh, do the same thing that happened with Jason and let him strike out on his own and stuff like that and and there's all that stuff as well around um, him coming to terms with um, Dick Grayson being Nightwing as well and having regrets mm. about that because he's putting these kids in danger and there's a lot going on there and you can't so you know this has happened um, but still I just read it and I was like this is this is it's horrible to read and so upsetting to see that see it actually happen and play out in front of you and it's not graphic but it's enough it's enough that you do sort of feel that's really happening sometimes that can be even more powerful yeah because your your imagination kind of fills in the gaps a little Mm. bit more um and then it kind of hits you a little bit harder exactly yeah yeah so yeah it's just it's absolutely incredible i mean i think it's what some of the some of the stuff about it that just sort of seems even more unpleasant um, is particularly um, like Jim Aparo's um, art is, is legendary throughout. The way he draws the Joker, I always thought looked a lot like Cesar Romero from the um, from the sixties show. Yeah, oh, right. Um, yeah. Which obviously was very camp and stuff like that as well. So when sure. when he turns and when he's really the nasty evil Joker that he's meant to be, yeah. that seems even more stark as well. And even just that that page with the uh, with the crowbar beating. Um, if you look in it, it's the shots of the Joker, he does look maniacal, but he does look very much like that that camp sixties version of him. Yeah. And the fact that he's doing something so atrocious as beating Robin to death, it really jars. And yeah, I think that's one of the things as well that kind of like really upset me and, and, and saddened me as the whole story was playing out. Amazing. And then I I, I wonder what life would be like if because it was it was done on a phone vote, wasn't it? It was, wasn't it? Whether yeah. or not Jason Todd was to yeah. was going to die, um, and obviously the, the the public chose him to die. But 
and I don't know the, the the results off the top of my head of that, but I wonder what would happen if they if they chose to to make him live. What yeah, do you know what on the, on the story? Yeah, it makes you wonder which way it goes, doesn't it? Like sort of how how they'd handled the Joker and and stuff as well. Because I mean, there's always you, yeah, you'd need to give it a really a really good hook there, wouldn't you? Because quite frankly, if oh, yeah. um if if you didn't kill Robin off in that story. You've, it'd be a bit, it'd be a bit pants if you just kind of went. Oh, he's fine. That's just yeah. another superhero story where exactly. the superhero just, lives. Just, yeah, exactly. It's just, he's, he's fine. He's all right. He got out. He's, he's, yeah, of course he did. There was a tunnel or something. Exactly. And he'd be like, oh come on, really? You'd have to, you'd have to give some sort of payoff, wouldn't you? You couldn't just have the rest of the story play out as it was, but with Robin there. Yeah, exactly. Just, and, I, and I wonder, yeah, what DC would be like today if that didn't happen. Exactly. Um, yeah. Because obviously that kind of that raised the stakes, I think, for for DC because they actually killed off a main character. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. I mean, it's and, and it was that like properly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's like we were saying about the, the Transformers thing. The 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 idea that actually hold on. I mean, these these characters can die and they ain't coming back. I mean, Transformers. Some of them did. Fair enough. But, yeah. But, well, that, but, that, I think that was a that was a corporate decision. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I mean, arguably as well, Jason Todd is still an existing character. But I mean, in yeah. the, in, yeah. in that part of the universe, just that's. I mean, yeah. What I was saying about the idea of um, super superpowers amongst mm. non superpowered people sometimes that jars me a lot. I and mean, that's the sort of thing that. Um, that story is so much more powerful because there's no superpower involved. Yeah. There's no, there's no way. Even if, even if Robin was a superpowered character and mm. actually died, I don't think I'd care as much. Yeah. Because yeah, actually, there'd, there'd always be that sort of winks of the camera potentially, wouldn't there? It's like, is he going to come back? Is something mm. else going to? Do you know what I mean? Is there going to be an alternative reality? You can always mess around with that where you've got that that fantastical element to it. But no, Robin's just a bloke and he's dead, and that's it. That is exactly. it. Just and it's, and it's, explosion. It, it is it. <laughs> harsh as hell, but yeah, that's what it is. Um, and yeah, that's that's one of the most powerful parts about it. Amazing. Um, and then going along a, a similar line, uh, Dylan asks you, what's the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read? It's it's something I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, <clears throat> so this is going to be really esoteric one to explain i suppose <laughs> but basically um going back to those kind of marvel uk reprint uh, reprints um that i used to read as a kid i read the, a lot of those sort of up until um like my early teens um before like finding comic stores to actually get like the american imports and things like that as well um but those those marvel uk ones and uh, they were like big a4 um style reprint um like magazines almost and they'd have um the main story in it and they'd sometimes have like another little story somewhere in, the, in there as well um but they'd often have like little one pages mm. as well I don't, I don't know whether they were just sort of things thrown in to sort of make up the uh, make up the page count because they were shorter page or something I, I have no idea um and some of them seem to have like a bit of a kind of um there'd be a one pager that have an ongoing story to it maybe uh, kind of a bit like your uh, like your newspaper strips would how they'd continue each day or each week um and sometimes they'd just be one-offs. And I remember one of these one-offs, and it it scared the living daylights out of me. Um, I would have been about nine, I suppose. Okay, yeah. Um, and this was in, like, 
it was like a one pager in like spider-man or something do you know what i mean i'm, I'm not sure yeah. if it was spider-man but that's the thing that kind of stands out for me i think it was it was spider-man or one, or one of those kind of marvel uh main marvel characters and um and it was just a really crudely drawn one pager very much in the sort of um style of kind of like the old um sort of like 50s and 60s kind of pulp horror stuff um but no color it was just um just inks line art um and it appeared to be now this might be completely wrong because this might be my perception of it as a nine-year-old but what i remember it being was basically kind of a deformed looking child having an inner monologue and he was sort of like a very skinny kid sort of like kicking about in a kitchen and it was all sort of run down and stuff and he had kind of shaggy hair and sort of like mottled skin and like boils and stuff like that and kind of a bit of a melty looking face wow. uh, so it's horrible to look at for us uh, straight away and the it was all um all just like uh, yeah his monologue as he's going through it and you clearly you kind of look at the character and think oh what the hell's that and it's just straight away encapsulated that he's essentially a kid at home um and he gets like his mum in inverted commas comes in um gets the ump with him over something um and basically drags him off and locks him in um in the broom cupboard and that's wow. kind of it yeah and i was like <laughs> I, I, I'm, I may have interpreted this completely wrong. It might be something utterly different. And if mm. ever found it now, I'll probably read it and go, that's not that at all. But, <laughs> but at the time, I was like, this is horrible. And, the, uh, and like the way he was put in the cupboard was really forcefully. And then as soon as he's in the cupboard, because it was, um, it was just black and white line art, um, in the cupboard, it was just really dark. Just very, lots of black, scratchy, yeah. um, scratchy panels uh, of him basically just sort of kind of whimpering in a cupboard. And it just seemed to be it. There didn't seem to be like it wasn't a continuation oh God, of anything. That was the ending. It was it. <laughs> oh, and God, that's terrible. <laughs> I, I was nine, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" And it it was one of those things that you know when you you know you're in a kid and you're you're scared of something, but you can't help but go back and look at it again. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you picked up your parents' horror movie VHS or something, there'd be something. Yeah. You watch the thing awful. when you're when you're yeah, like eight. You know I mean, that's the thing. You can't help but go back and like look at the back of the cover and just stare at it and worry <laughs> you know yeah I mean? sure it was that and it was it was like i, I kind of kept this comic even though it's it obviously wasn't one that like as an issue um of whatever issue uh, or whatever title it was it wasn't one that was important to me because otherwise i think i'd remember that um so i kind of kept it because it had this horrific scary one page in it um, and I would occasionally look at it and kind of try and fathom it. I don't think I've ever really sort of reread it as such, but I just kind of stare at it, kind of thinking, why is this here? And, yeah. and why is it so hard? And, and, and even now as an adult, even if it's not quite that, why the hell was something that terrifying in, in, a, in a comic that was being marketed at kids at the time? Yeah, exactly. But, but then I suppose this is also like the era where you had um, six-year-olds wandering around in Freddy Krueger t-shirts and stuff as well. Do you know what I mean? There's, yeah. The marketing in the 80s of horror movies and stuff like that was bizarre. So okay. it probably actually chimed in with what was going on at the time. But for me, it was just – it was terrifying. And, yeah. Mad. Well, if anybody out there knows uh, what uh, what issue this is in <laughs> yeah. or what oh, it is, God, I, yeah, then I, was, I would love to know. Yeah, I mean, I, t- I tried researching it, but it's one of those things that you start, start yeah. looking it up and like, where do you start? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to ask Tony. Tony has. Oh, yeah, I reckon. I'm, yeah. Sure, I'm sure he's probably got it in his, uh, <laughs> in his head somewhere. You know, the oracle that is Tony Esmond. Oh, yeah. 
Interesting. <laughs> uh, so uh, Dylan moves on to the next question um, and asks you, what's the most meaningful comic to you? Oh, this is an easy one. Um, it's a huge epic, but um, Batman Nightfall. Great. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Don't, no hesitation on that at all. The, yeah, that storyline, um, definitely the most meaningful comic to me. Um, not just because of <clears throat> what the story is, um, in the fact that it's it's that whole idea of Batman being taken out, um, is back broken. Again, it's this whole idea yeah. that you've got like... iconic, yeah, not a cover. Yeah, it's, oh, yeah. man, yeah. There's that. Um, and the kind of redemption story at the end of it all, if you follow it all the way through um, after the main Nightfall arc into um, the sort of couple of years' worth of, of storyline after it, where you had Jean-Paul Valley as, as Batman and just like what he does to the character, this whole idea of it being just turned around into something else. But then Bruce Wayne comes back, takes back the mantle. And I mean, it's a, it's a classic sort of good versus evil story that kind of repeats itself almost and, and, and throws a mirror up to itself a couple of times throughout, uh, throughout the whole duration of it all. Um, it's a fantastic epic. It was the first, first comic story that kind of like I just got hooked on and devoured the lot. Um, I think I jumped into bits and bobs. I enjoyed sort of quite, quite short story arcs and sort of followed the bits that jump off of those um but nightfall was the one that i just became addicted to um my poorest just was just ridiculous at the time of nightfall um because there was all kinds of stuff going on around the edges as well and again sort of cameo bits i'm not a huge fan of having to buy like loads of different other comics to follow a single story um but this kind of felt justifiable um Mm. because you kind of had the batman titles that it all followed through. So it's like, okay, I'm, I'm cool with reading all Batman titles. I kind of already was um, at that time. Um, but occasionally it'd throw off into, um, like, um, there was like a bit with the outsiders and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Where I was like, okay, I wouldn't normally pick this up, uh, but I'm going to, because actually it's, it's relevant enough. It's not just a kind of, I have to read it because I'm being marketed to. I was a little bit, obviously, but <laughs> at the same time, it's like, it's, I can justify getting those right. extra yeah because i was so wrapped up in it i was like i have to know every move that's made by these characters um but other than the story itself um it really opened my eyes to so much comic creation talent um and that's really why it stays with me as particularly as a a comics creator it's one of the things i go back to to reference artists writers um and just the whole idea of spanning a story that that wide um there's so many people involved in it um and uh, yeah (laughs) and exactly and i just yeah i I absolutely loved it i mean it's it's where i first discovered uh, um a couple of artists i absolutely love and have loved ever since um notably kelly jones obviously for those covers um and brett blevins as well um who was the interior artist on shadow of the bat um which um of, of which there's a, a few issues of that which touch upon uh, Nightfall, but um, not until it gets into the, sort of the, the longer run um, does it sort of break into its own. But those two artists have been have really been standout ones for me ever since. I mean, Kelly Jones' art is just nuts. It's, it's dark as hell and it's grim, but it's like nothing else I've ever seen. And those covers that he did for Nightfall, every single one of those covers, I mean, they're just... It's not just the, the iconic one of Bane breaking Batman's back that stands out for me. Yeah. I think Kelly's art was just so so powerful for me that I can kind of conjure almost all of the, the kind of main Nightfall run covers to mind. 
um, without having to look them up. And just some of them are just, yeah, just blew me away. I mean, there's um, there's one, I'm trying to find out which issue number it is now because I've got them in front of me, but the, the one particularly with um, just half of Batman's head poking above the water as he's right. uh, as he's kind of drowning and there's rats climbing over his head. And it's like, oh, man, that's just, oh my God. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's just such a... It's just a scary image and um, and stuff like the one with amygdala um, about to beat him to death and stuff like that. And it's, uh, oh, yeah, just the, the use of darkness um, that Kelly Jones puts into his art um, is masterful. Um, I've got to say, though, uh, as much as I love him, his cover art is probably my favourite um, favorite output of his. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not as much of a fan of his interiors sometimes. Right. Um, I, again, he did he did a Batman run um, shortly after Nightfall finished, and I found that a bit hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he also did um, did a load of stuff on Venom as well, which was just um, actually from an interior point of view, a lot of that was fantastic. Um, but I think it's because he had something like Venom to, to play with. Um, that's a, a sort of character that he could just go completely crazy with. Um, but yeah, so I, I fell in love with Kelly Jones through, um, through Nightfall. Um, and yeah, Brett Blevins is just, it's an artist that I didn't like at first. Um, I really sort of found, um, found his art quite jarring and quite unpleasant to look at. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of a fluidity to, to his lines that I find quite unsettling and a crudeness and dirtiness to the way people's faces look. Um, it doesn't matter what expression they're doing. They always look a bit sort of seedy and sinister, I mean, even even Batman, yeah, Batman. Whether he's as Batman or as Bruce Wayne, when Brett Blevins draws him, he's just sort of like, I kind of don't like you. I just don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just got one of those faces that you want to. Yeah, hit. Uh, and I mean, <laughs> if, when 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 his art hits in um, in this, it's it's at the point where um, Jean Paul Valley is is Batman, so that kind of works as well because mm. you kind of don't really want to like Jean Paul Valley as Batman because he's rogue as hell, um, but. He does. Um, he does. A, I think it's two or three issues. Uh, three issues. Yeah. Um, of Shadow of the Bat, where it's a, a scarecrow story, mm. um, and the way he draws scarecrow is nightmare-inducing, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, Very unsettling. Yeah. And um, but I actually found that again, it was that one. Like, I'm going to keep looking at it because I'm not sure if I like this or not, and I'm not sure if it upsets me or not. And the more and more I looked at it, the more I realised, you know what? I really love how he's taken these sort of characters and use his art style to make them seem so much more sinister and unpleasant. And actually I, I really loved his art after that when I kind of came to that revelation that, yeah, it's, it's the unpleasantness. It's the crudeness that I love about it. And yeah. And then I became utterly addicted to his stuff too. Amazing. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to see the, the cork boards that they had of interconnecting all of the oh, issues within that. It must've been, like a whole, you know, hall of, <laughs> of storyline yeah, connecting. It's, it's brilliantly done. I mean, just uh, I actually found that the the idea of um, of breaking everyone out of Arkham Asylum mm. to be more dramatic than breaking Batman's back, in my opinion, um, just because it's it's just all the work that he's done in his entire career as Batman, and Bane just like I'm gonna blow the doors off. it's all undone all undone in one go and just the sense of responsibility that batman feels of like right i've got to clean up this mess 
And it's like, oh, actually, if you sit back and look at it, mate, you, you don't. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's an entire police department out there in Gotham City. Yeah, you put them all away, but that doesn't mean you've got to keep them there, does it? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and you're just one bloke, and yeah, you've, you've taken them all out one by one, but that was over a large period of time, mate. Don't feel too bad. <laughs> so, yeah, but he just he just takes it he just takes it all on though. And but I mean, I suppose you would though, wouldn't you? If you if you'd have done something well, like that, something yeah, significant, cleaning up the streets. Yeah, exactly. It's the type of bloke he is, but I think anyone who's got pride in their work, if you yeah. saw it all undone, you'd be like, nope, no, 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 we're gonna we're gonna sort that. <laughs> and um, but it's just it's his undoing. It's completely his undoing. And I mean, the character of Bane is um, I, I don't think he's given credit for the intelligence all the time um, because mm-hmm. he's getting so iconic looking and such a physical brute um, that. Yeah, I mean, that in itself is part of the, the beauty of creating a character like that and giving him that kind of intelligent, strategic mind um, because it's it, it's a slow trickle before you realise, hold on a minute, he's really pulled the strings here, hasn't he? He's not just some nutter who's just, yeah, kicked the doors off Arkham and tried to take control of things. He has built up to this. And there's something quite sadistic about the fact that obviously he's got his... He's got his, his his drugs that pump him up. Mm. He's clearly formidable. He's 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 a match for Batman and then some, as it is. But instead of just kind of going, I'm just going to take him out. Like, no, no, I'm going to wear this guy down for weeks. I'm just going to completely destroy him mentally, physically, and then I'm going to break his back. And it's <laughs> yes, the cherry on the top. Gosh, that is that's a that's an evil person. That is really really evil seriously malicious um so the the, the next question uh, that dylan asks you is what's the most underrated comic that you've read um this was quite a tough question as well as it goes um because i suppose it's one of those things of uh, I, I could have pulled out something that no one's ever heard of and it's underrated because no one's ever heard of it but then mm. It's always going to be, I suppose. Um, so I'd, I, I've gone for something that's a bit more well-known. Um, but for it's well-known for the wrong reasons, in my opinion, um, sure. and from, in conversations that I've had with people. And it's The Mask. Mm. Right. Um, because in my experience, whenever I've mentioned The Mask to people, they go, oh, yeah, Jim Carrey movie. And it's... Yeah. Uh, it's remembered it's, for. It's always <laughs> it remembered by, for. by most people. <laughs> um, which is fair enough because I mean it was a, yeah. it was a, um, I mean arguably an indie book um, originally I mean uh, published by Dark Horse um, it was yeah very kind of underground very um, very kind of MTV I suppose <laughs> in some respects yeah. Um, and yeah it got snapped up um, to this, be this big budget movie Jim Carrey flavour of the month at the time Cameron Diaz um, sort of a big springboard for her it was huge and yeah there's loads of fun um, but it's pulls apart from what the actual story um, mm. character of the mask is yeah. I mean you they, never... they just made it about Jim Carrey the, they the did they, they, they played into how he acts exactly I mean basically. and in some respects yeah fantastic he's, he's a yeah, great was, choice good fun um, yeah. but they just yeah they, uh, again they just turned it into um, a, a Jim Carrey comedy um, mm-hmm. it's just yeah Ace Ventura painted green um, basically yeah. <laughs> essentially um, fair play 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. it was, yeah, it was entertaining. It was a load of money. It's been successful, but it's it didn't really open anyone up. I I think um, to what mm. the mask really was, yeah. um, and it's it's so much crazier and ultra violent than the movie will ever um, let you believe. Um, and other than, other than the fact that I, I think it's underrated because people kind of dismiss it as oh it's just that Jim Carrey movie and then they kind of flick through it and kind of go oh yeah I might look at this I might not um, I think the thing that really stands out for me about uh, about what the mask is is its ability um, to really exploit what comics can do mm. um, in respect of just absurdity um, I mean when when you look at like um, making a movie for example um, there's if you want to do all kinds of crazy stuff you want to have like big set pieces it costs money you want to have big explosions and cgi and make it look good uh make it a style make it not look jarring make it all cohesive um it costs money um you want big actors in there it all costs money so anything like that it's it's, it's constrained by your budgets whereas actually something like comics really isn't um as long as you've got an artist who's willing to do it for the fee that you can pay um or if you're small press do it your bloody self um and, um, mm. you the world's your oyster you can really create absolutely anything you like um i mean it's it's the same as writing a novel i suppose but to be able to put put the images down on paper um and just kind of go that is exactly what i want it to be and i'm going to show you it um, and I'm going to ram it down your throat that this is this is exactly what I had in mind. Um, and it's it's over the top. It's, it's stuff you'd never be able to do in real life. It's stuff that if you made a movie of this, it would be nigh on impossible to do it. Um, and, yeah, I just feel like The Mask really does a lot of that very well. Just the fact that the character itself um, is it's kind of like crossing sort of Looney Tunes with the Twilight Zone and Beavis and Butthead all in one go. There's just so much that goes on in it. And every time someone puts the mask on, it just transforms them into whatever they obviously kind of deeply seated want to be. Um, but then it just goes out the window as well, doesn't it? It's just this, there's so many things that happen in it. I mean, my, my favourite, um, my favourite is the mask strike back, the strikes back, um, mainly because it just jumps right in, because um, it's kind of the second instalment, and um, there's no hanging about. Mm. It's just, um, it's just a very very brief recap of yeah, this 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 thing happened with this mask. Oh my god, it's awful, and it's literally like a month later or something, um, and it all just kicks off with this bunch of kids who've uh, who've, who've got the mask, and they kind of trade it round. Um, and so, therefore, you've got all these different um, incarnations of the mask that come out of it all. Um, but it just does ridiculous things. Like, I mean, there's a bit where, like, he, he kind of swallows his mate's head. <laughs> just, like, Amazing. And he's wandering around with his, his, his mate hanging out of his mouth, just with his head in his mouth. And he's just like, what? Everything thinks of this stuff. And, like, every time he gets battered by something or someone or, like, blown up or whatever, just the way it's done is just outrageous like every time like he meets up with walter and they're uh, they're having having fights he just gets his head caved in all the time and there's just like there's teeth flying everywhere his eyeballs are hanging out and stuff and then he's like yeah okay great well i'm gonna shake that off and now i'm suddenly something else and there's a fantastic scene um in the mask strikes back where he's um he's auditioning um at like a cabaret club or something um and he ends up uh, uh, like as a solo artist 
doing a gig and he starts off as this kind of like hellish thrash metaler um, and then just switches around and turns into um, a member of the Rat Pack. And Amazing. it just sort of jumps between it all. Um, and then, yeah, like he's got the guitar sort of that he's been playing as the thrash metaler that he's sort of swung around behind him. And that's always hanging over his shoulder. And you don't really notice it's there um, until he gets into a battle, in which case he turns around and picks it up again. And it's a bloody great big axe. And uh, it's just these constant bits where it just sort of swaps around all the time. Um, and he's, uh, after he's like been swinging this axe... Um, Walter chucks a, uh, an amp over his head and it literally crashes all the way over him um, just like Daffy Duck would have a TV fall over his head. But mm. um, the two panels that you've got um, juxtapose it all completely because you've got him standing there as like um, Frank Sinatra basically um, with this axe guitar smashed to bits in his hand and an amp like balanced above his head. It crashes over him and he's then poking out the top of the amp um, just like I say, very Looney Tunes. But at this point now, he's turned back into the thrash metal. Uh, so he's all clad in sort of like um, straps and leather and stuff, and there's this wild hair. And it's just the act of just chucking an amp over him. It's just turning him into something else. And he's like, right, not having this. And then he just caves the place in with a load of amps that aren't there. He's just kind of gone, no, nope, not having it. And just pulled things out of nowhere. And it's, I mean, it's, I, I can see why some people would kind of go, this is just a bit absurd, quite frankly. <laughs> it's just far too much going on. It's quite unrelenting throughout it all. But it's just the idea that you can kind of go, do you know what? Give me an idea. Yeah, we'll do that. Give me another idea. Yep, go on, we'll do that. It's, uh, it, it, I imagine that they were almost like the creative team were probably just sitting around just throwing stupid ideas at each other. What about this? Yeah, of course we can cover that. How would you draw this? Oh, I'll draw it this way. Do you know what I mean? And then... Yeah, it's there's just so much with it that has just. I mean, I'm just, I'm sitting here just looking through some of it, and I'm. It's yeah, absolutely amazing. The bit where as well when in the Master Strikes Back where he, um where he kind of becomes a superhero at the end, um in a zoo, um and falls kind of like a Justice League around him of the animals there, and there's a brilliant um brilliant splash page of uh, a gorilla, a lion, a bear, and a giraffe, um loosely dressed as various well-known superheroes um the f- funniest bit, in my opinion is the, the fact that you've got a gorilla who's essentially meant to be wonder woman um and it's just it's just <laughs> and it's, and it's lion with cyclops's uh, visor on <laughs> like, wow ridiculous yeah and um it's it's fantastic and yeah i mean the art style is quite pulpy um but it kind of fits. It's just it, it's quite yeah, exactly. it's quite it's quite scratchy and sketchy and um and like I say very kind of that yeah that MTV generation kind of look to it or whatever. I mean it's obviously it was kicking about at a time when you had stuff like The Tick, um yeah and like Beavis and Butthead and and, and TV shows like Duckman. Um, mm. So it's, it really fits the era very nicely. But um but yeah as as a comic I don't think it's given enough credit for just just throwing his hand in and kind of going, do you know what? This, this is it. This is what we're going to do with this. And we're going to do mm. it to the nth degree. And if you don't like it, then look at something else. Amazing. Just being what it, what it's meant to be. Exactly. You know, not, not, not playing into people's hands and pandering to people. Fantastic. Um, so, uh, we come on to, to the hardest question, uh, that, that Dylan has to ask you. And he asked what for you, what's the best comic of all time? <laughs> that is that's a stumper isn't it <laughs> it's quite a question <laughs> it is quite a question 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. How do you just sort of boil it down to just one? Funnily enough, there's a um, uh, there's a friend of mine um, in the states uh, who runs a podcast called Dead as Hell. It's a, um, right. a horror podcast, but he does a lot of music stuff on there too. And he actually, um, we've been friends for a while. And he, he emailed me um, about a year ago. Just, a, just one question: What's the greatest song ever written? And yeah. I was like, what? I mean, how can you? <laughs> you can't ask me that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, uh, exactly. I'm dangerous to answer still as well. <laughs> still <laughs> thinking. Very, exactly. I've given him various like these are my favourite lyrics. Yeah. This is my favourite arrangement. It's like, what's the best song ever? I'm like, oh my god. And it's the same thing with the comic. How do you just kind of go that that one? That's it. That encapsulates yeah. the lot. Um, I've I've picked what I think having deliberated over that for quite a while that I think is, is the greatest comic ever written. Uh, and I imagine if you ask me again in a month, um, I'll have kind of gone, Oh no, 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 I'm actually listening. Sure. But, <laughs> but right now sitting in front of me, the greatest comic ever written, um, ever created, uh, is Batman, the killing joke. Brilliant. It's yeah. Yeah. It's Great just, and it's, a, it's another classic, isn't it? It's just, yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it's a game changer as well. It, it is. It really, yeah. really is. Um, I mean, there was a little part of me that was sort of toying with the idea of throwing Watchmen on the table um, sure. because it's an utter masterpiece as well. Um, mm. But but no, I mean, yeah, sticking with Alan Moore, keep him on side, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, The Killing Joke is just, it's a monumental piece of comics creation. It's just, it's beautifully written. It's beautifully drawn. So well paced um and yet so small as well mm. that you kind of look at it and kind of go is it, how's how can this compare to the opuses that alan moore's done in the past how's how's this going to be the game changer um but it's because of its simplicity um and there's there's kind of not much meat on its bones really but that's why it sucks you in yeah so but yeah it it just takes you through quite a simple concept really which is one bad day can change your life yeah oh yeah yeah absolutely it certainly does doesn't it (laughs) yeah and it's and the fact that that's that concept is pulled out by the joker Mm. is in itself quite monumentous um a character who has his his interesting take on finesse and elegance um but not necessarily renowned for being that kind of that kind of a thinker really i don't think and um in that respect and to actually have him laying down that gauntlet and kind of holding a mirror up to batman mm-hmm. and basically saying without knowing what's happened to bruce wayne as a kid but basically kind of going something must have happened for you mm. that turned you into there and it must have been one moment that made you switch and seeing the Joker's story played out in flashbacks throughout it so you can see what his bad day was um, and how it made him switch um, it's, you, you sympathise with him so much it's, uh, I mean, he's, a, he's basically just an out of work comedian who's just really down in his luck, he's got a pregnant wife who's going to give birth any second he's desperate absolutely starkly desperate to try and get his his wife and his kid out of dodge um and he'll do anything for him and it's it's love that's driving him to do it because he's uh, all the way through when he gets caught up with um with this mob who are doing a heist 
um, and the fact that yeah, he's, uh, they give him the red mask and all that. It, it, he's he's really not happy about any of it, um, and especially when it gets into um, gets into the heist and it all goes wrong. He's so regretful of getting himself involved in any of it at all. But he's only done it for love. He's only yeah, done it for his family, exactly. just yeah. to look after his own. He's 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 been driven to that point where he's just I, I, yeah, I can't get a job, I can't get a loan, I can't look after my family, I have to do something. And he gets wrapped up with the wrong crowd, and yeah, and ends up essentially falling into some chemical waste, becoming disfigured, and just that's the final straw. As soon as he yeah. sees that that's happened to him, after yeah, that is. His wife and his kid have basically been killed as well. They're killed in a car crash, and it's just—it's horrible. It all happens like within 24 hours, and it's—it would send you mental, wouldn't it? It just—it would yeah, definitely feel like any any one of those things would be enough to send you over the edge. Um, and he has a lot to deal with, and um, yeah, to try and sort of draw that out and kind of tell Batman, I know that something like this happened to you. Um, and to try and know him in that way mm. um, be so offensive for Batman as well for someone who's kept that secret is that to have essentially his arch enemy just turn around and go I, I know you intrinsically um, mm. I don't know the details but I'm right aren't I yeah, um, yeah. And, and they really connect over this don't they they do they do right. yeah um, but the fact that he the, the, the subtle thing being is, is that he he tries to prove the point by trying to give Jim Gordon his worst day to mm. turn Jim Gordon to one of them, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, um, okay. And and it doesn't work. Um, and it's it almost it's almost over too quickly in that respect with, uh, as to the fact that it, it hasn't sent Jim Gordon over the edge. Because mm. basically when, um, when Batman finally sort of rescues him... Um, He's uh, it rescues him and he's off after the Joker straight away. So it's it's very quick and just a couple of panels and a couple of phrases that kind of point it out um, that actually it's it's not worked and it's just the fact that yeah he's um, the, the Joker's taken down his um, uh, taken down Barbara Gordon, shot her, paralysed her, exploited her, kidnapped Jim Gordon, forced him to be privy to all this. Yeah. Um, to try and send him mad, um, and as a father, he, he, you can see that he's just utterly hurting yeah. and doesn't know what to do about this. And when when Batman actually intervenes, you're half expecting Jim Gordon to just turn a blind eye and and just just let Batman do whatever he needs to do. And the fact that it's been alluded to about the fact that Batman and the Joker are going to kill each other one way or another at some point in their relationship. You do kind of think this is it. Gordon's just going to kind of go, do it, just do it, and and he doesn't. He he, he screams at him. You got to bring him in by the book, and mm. that in itself, oh my god! No matter what's happened to this man, he's he's shown he's shown us the best of us um, by just keeping his keeping his morals upright. And kind of saying, do you know what? In the face of all this, I'm not stooping to your level. I'm not going to I'm not going to change my ways. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it by the book um and that's that's so powerful absolutely amazing incredible and and as a creator uh what do you think uh the, the that story's effect has had on you um oh it's it's certainly stayed with me um mm. ever since i first read it it's, it's one of the few that uh that i 
regularly go back and reread. I say regularly, sort of periodically, I suppose. But um, it's, I think it's that, it's the, it's the moral thread throughout it, mm-hmm. uh, which is something I'm particularly picking up like as a creator when I'm um, writing heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there's, what I'm trying to do with that story is, uh, even though it's, yeah, it, it's presented as kind of like this, this sci-fi mystery, um, it's really a story about morals and loyalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as that develops, um, it's going to become clearer that it's actually, it's not a story about three crazy girls with mad, huge animal heads pulling off heists. It's actually, <laughs> it's actually about three friends yeah. um, and their different moral standpoints and their different loyalties to each other and other people um, and the way that twists around. And I think The Killing Joke was the first time I read any story, really, not just a comic, but any story that kind of showed me that um, as to how you can have this juxtaposition of of morality and that actually people have their own interpretation of morality mm-hmm. uh, and will justify to themselves what their actions are and why they why they carry them out um, and can see no wrong in that um, and that's not just from a, a literary point of view but from a, a life point of view that's 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 quite quite sobering yeah yeah very very powerful um and it's well it's it's just amazing that you know that can be encapsulated in a in a comic that you know uh can be read um again and again and again and it just gets you to to question your own decisions <laughs> basically it very much it? does yeah it does incredible I, mean, I, 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 I wouldn't i wouldn't like to comment on how I think I'd act if I was Jim Gordon. Yes. I mean, yeah, I, I read this, um, I've read this several times over the years. Um, I read this before I was a parent, obviously, um, and found it, um, a very strong storyline. Um, and, uh, and a, and a powerful thread there of, uh, of what it takes on. But yeah, as a parent reading it, I have a different view. Um, yeah, definitely. And, <laughs> yeah. And it's just, yeah, it really, it really does stand out. And I mean, the, one of the other things about it as well is that that whole thing with Barbara Gordon. Um, that I mean, we were saying earlier on with the um, some of the stuff about death in the family, where, like, where you, what you don't see is worse mm. sometimes. Um, and there's, yeah, you see her get shot, you know that that's happened, mm. and that's horrible to see, and you see it happen in front of Gordon. But then what you don't see is what the Joker does next. And I think I've, that's one of the things as well that I've kind of – I've interpreted differently each time I've read it because basically he goes to um, – they kidnap Gordon. Barbara Gordon's laying there on the floor um, and the Joker steps up and starts undressing her. And that's it. It cuts. And you don't see any more of that. But you find out you find out from her when she wakes up in hospital uh, – oh, no, it's not from her. Um, from, um, from Bullock um, who's been um, – been investigating it all that they found a camera um a, a shutter cover um and it doesn't match anything in the house so that you know that the joker's been taking photos and you know that he's undressed her yeah. and that in itself is very sinister and later on you don't you don't actually see much you, you see glimpses of photos but nothing explicit mm-hmm. but you know that it's it's her undressed and i remember when i first read it as well kind of thinking okay that's kind of all that happened Right. I just I, I just took that at face value that like yeah okay so that was a horrible thing to do but that's done and end of end of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as I've got older and again as I've become a parent, it, there's so much that's in there that isn't said 
and that you don't know if anything else happened. You don't know if all he did was just undress and take pictures just to uh, upset Gordon or if something else happened because it was just the two of them in the house by that point. Everyone else had gone. And you never know. It's never explained. It's never drawn out. And it it plays at you as to did anything else happen? And yeah, like I said, becoming a parent, that's, that becomes even more upsetting um, and, and startling to, to read. And yeah, and the fact that then Gordon's response, regardless of whether anything else happened or it was just as it was on the page, the fact that Gordon's response was not going to do anything differently. I'm, I must do this my way. I must, I must stay the man I am um, is astounding. Yeah, astounding. That's uh, that's a great word for it. Um, and uh, so we come on to on to our last question in regards to comics. Um, so if you could only take one comic into this zombie apocalypse uh, from your list, which would it be? Um, it'd have to be some Lobo. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. After some massive oration about how incredible the killing joke is, yeah, I was like, nah, sure. we'll just have some Lobo. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> to be perfectly honest, though, um, yeah, um, as I said, I couldn't get hold of many copies when um, when I was younger, so I've only actually got a handful anyway. So I suppose, yeah, if I had to grab them, I'd grab them. If I managed to be by a comic store at the time, I'd run in and see if they had any back issues too. Um, but yeah, Lobo, I think, would just it keep me amused. Um, and also is innovatively violent um, and yeah sense of humour and clever ways of taking people out are probably two things I'd need to be armed with um, when I go up against the bloody zombies so right uh, and speaking of which going up against the, uh, the zombies uh, what weapon tool or useful item would you like to take into the apocalypse I thought about this for a while and considering I told Dylan about the idea of this uh, this apocalypse we'd be going into, um, I posed the question to him, um, and I, I thought, let's let's see. You never know; he might make a bit more of a snap decision. There was me looking around the house, thinking, "What would I take? What would I grab?" Um, he didn't think about what was in the house. He just went, "We'll take a sword." Um, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, do you know what? Why not? We we'll find a sword because actually, that's a fantastic thing to take along with you. You can you can kill things, you can hunt things, you can." beat your way into things and hack your way into things and out of things. So it's a good defensive and offensive um, piece of kit. Um, it's also overtly threatening um, mm, just to yeah. sword out. Just because, intimidating, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, the thing with that is if, if we assume that there's just zombies and it's basically just me and Dylan and the rest of the world are zombies, then that's not really that interesting or useful. But if there's a chance that other people aren't zombies as well, um, you could very easily... Um, take people out that you shouldn't be taking out. Um, I mean, if you've ever seen Night of the Living Dead, the way that ends, um, that's, that's brilliant. That's exactly the, the whole point. There's police there with guns, and they're like, right, hold on, we'll take him out. Oh, no, it's a bloke. Shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not a zombie. Oh, no. Um, so, yeah, if you had a gun on you or something, then um, you, you'd probably pull that out. You'd act too quickly with that. You can be shooting zombies in inverted commas from quite a distance and not know who you're getting whereas actually if you've got a sword i imagine sam if if you were trying to swim across the thames to try and join me in my uh, uh my fortress pub uh, <laughs> and i brandished a sword at you you'd probably flinch and scream at me yeah um, i think twice <laughs> um, so exactly yeah but that's great because then i'd realize he's not a zombie 
let's have Sam on board. Brilliant. And yeah, I'd help true. him up. So actually, oh, I appreciate uh, that, mate. <laughs> that's all good. It's, uh, yeah, take it. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's actually a good way of making sure that, um, yeah, I don't end up murdering the rest of the human race by mistake, um, but also ensuring that I'm building allies around me. Um, so actually, I think a sword would be a fantastic thing to take along. Very, very smart. Uh, well, Rick Jackson, thank you so much for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, mate. Oh, it's awesome. Um, and uh, <clears throat> just one more time uh, for the listeners, uh, where can they find you? Okay, uh, you can go to my website, which is rickjackson.co.uk, um, or you can follow me on Twitter, and on Twitter I am um, Go Jackson Go. Awesome. Uh, and then uh, projects coming up this year. What else you got coming up in the pipeline? Um, more heads. So, um, yeah, first one came out last year. Second one um, came out um, just end of um, winter around this year. And um, the next one, I'm hoping late summer, early autumn um, for the third installment of um, what is a five issue miniseries which is the first arc of heads. So, um, yeah, that'll be out then. So there'll probably be a Kickstarter um, coming up um, sort of end, of end of summer. And hopefully, if I'm in for MCM London um, in October as well, I'll be brandishing it around then too. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Rick. Um, and uh, I hope to catch you at a con soon. Fantastic. Thank you, mate. Been a pleasure. Cheers. Bye. Thanks again to Rick for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. I had an absolute blast. If you enjoyed the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Rick's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.